This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering My Trustmark online and mobile banking services to help monitor spending, pay bills, deposit checks, transfer money, and more. Anytime, anywhere. More information at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. If you're new to investing, the show this morning will be of particular interest. We're going to go slowly through when to invest, why to invest, where to invest, and what to invest in. If you have questions, call in to make sure we address your concerns. And if you have other personal finance questions, our experts can take them also. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Nancy. Uh, Let's start with you. How about uh, financial news to share? Oh, my goodness, Kevin. We've got a lot of bad news. Um, We are seeing weekly unemployment claims going up, uh, nearing a million again after declining for a period of time. Our retail spending is also declining, even online spending, which is a bit of a surprise. And personal debt and national debt is going up. Delinquencies are rising. And yet, I'm very optimistic, and the reason I am is markets tend to be forward-looking, so we are looking at probably by mid-year we're going to be past the worst of this, the pandemic. Uh, we're also looking at the possibility of another stimulus package, which will help support everything. So as far as markets are concerned, um, it's pretty positive this year, but we still have a stretch of bad economic news to go through. Uh, Good morning, Ryder. What caught your attention this week? Uh, Good morning. So uh, I have been, we we talk about this very frequently, but I've been watching uh, mortgage rates, which were basically at all-time lows. I mean, they were, I mean, I've said it many, many times before, but it's more true than ever. The money is basically free. Um, They did tick up in kind of a big way last week, kind of following other rises in interest rates. Um, It looks pretty dramatic, um, but bear in mind for folks who hear that, uh, they are still extremely low. You have not missed the boat on anything. Um, Yeah, so the interest rate tick up was interesting to see, but they are still just so incredibly low. So I think I might know the answer to this, but uh, did either of you pay the lottery tax for the upcoming Mega Millions and Powerball jackpots by buying a ticket or two? Not me. <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. I forgot to. I, I, I do. You know, I've said it before. I enjoy the kind of entertainment value of when the lottery is high. Uh, you know, paying two dollars for a ticket and just kind of you know talking about it with friends or just imagining. Um, as you can see, we even had a, a lot of fun time just talking about the lottery last week. I mean, it was a lot of fun. So, um, so no, I did not do that. But the I don't think anyone got the jackpot so i think they're still pretty high you know i uh one time i think uh last year or maybe the year before uh drove with a friend uh, this was before mississippi started the lottery so we drove across the border to louisiana and we went to a little you know 7-eleven type store and and i was 
I don't know why, but I was so nervous because I wasn't really sure what to do, what numbers to pick or whatever, and it was kind of busy. And I kind of felt like uh, the famous Seinfeld episode with the soup Nazi because, you know, you have to come in there and you very precise about what you say or what you do. And I didn't really know what tickets to get or numbers to pick, uh, but I got something, but I didn't win anything. So um, I, I'm not adverse to doing it. I guess I'm just too lazy to go around and, and get the ticket because, um, uh, you know, which numbers do you pick? I know some people uh, pick a certain set of numbers and just play them all the time. Others let the computer pick it for them. So I guess I'm a bit of a, a lottery wimp in that uh, case. Although I will agree, Ryder, the scratch-offs uh, can be kind of fun uh, if you treat it ser- uh, treat it properly. And it's just, you know, a little way for entertainment. Don't get too involved in it. I think it's okay. But, you know, uh, other people uh, can get a little bit over-involved in it. So. Absolutely. Buying tickets is not an investment strategy. I will need to need to put that caveat out there since we're talking about beginning investment strategies today. $1.6 billion, according to Liz Gill, our producer. So that is certainly is a lot of money. Uh, and it is always fun, too, to kind of wonder what you would do uh, with uh, with the winnings uh, if you were to win a, a jackpot that size. Uh, so as Ryder mentioned, and we mentioned the top of the show, beginning investing is our topic today. So after you've paid rent, utility bills, debt payments, groceries, and set at least a little cash in an emergency fund, you can start thinking about investing. Nancy, if you'd start off by telling us how compounding interest works. Oh, my goodness. Compound interest is a beautiful thing, Kevin. Um, I think it was Einstein who said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. (laughs) And the beauty of it is that uh, you start earning interest on top of interest. So if you started with, let's say, a $10 account and you earn 10% during the year, at the end of the year, you have $11. If that same account earns another 10%, you're not earning 10% just on the first $10. You're earning it on the entire $11. So now you've earned $1.10, and on and on it goes. And the longer you can leave that money there, allowing that uh, earnings to accumulate on top of itself, the bigger that pile gets. It's magic. And that's why we uh, encourage younger people to at least get their foot in the door, as it were, to get started because of that, uh, the, the advantage over the long term when we talk about that compounding interest. Exactly. Uh, so, Ryder, would you say that investing for retirement is uh, one of the most common and first investment goal that most people have? Uh, I think so. It, it, investing for retirement is definitely one of the biggest things that people will have. You know, that is the point. Retirement is the point where all of the money you have saved is what you have left to support you. It's where you stop earning income from your work and start just living on what you have saved. Um, and so that is, as you might imagine, that's a lot of money and that's an extraordinarily large decision. Um, it's also one of the most important uh, things to get started on early. Again, because that compound interest that you get, you know, the longer you have it invested, the better, uh, like Nancy said. So uh, there are retirement accounts at work. Uh, uh, Ryder, remind us about a 401k, what that is, and uh, some of the benefits of of the matching. Absolutely. So uh, a 401k is what uh, fairly common now, and it's part of what we call a 
a defined contribution plan. So the contributions, what you add to the plan, those are what are predefined, those are what matter, those are what you can count. Uh, so, you know, 401ks, uh, simple IRAs, uh, SEP IRAs, um, 403Bs, 457s, there's a whole bunch of names for them, but essentially they all work in a very similar way with just some have more bells and whistles. And it is you defer money directly from your paycheck, if it's through your employer, you defer money from your paycheck into the account, and that saves you money on taxes, generally. There are some exceptions if you do a Roth, for instance. Uh, it saves you money on taxes, uh, because again, you, you're kind of acting like you didn't earn that money this year. That money gets to grow, you can invest it, it can grow tax-free, and then there are rules about withdrawals, uh, but generally speaking, you can withdraw it you know, when you're 60, uh, you know, when you're heading into retirement, uh, things like that. Uh, Nancy, do most 401k plans these days offer that uh, that employer match? Most of the ones that we've seen do. Now, understand that uh, when we get into a recession, and, and we have seen this over the last year, um, companies have the option to stop a match at various times. That's usually part of their uh, legal document that allows them some flexibility in case they run into some problems. But yeah, we do see most of the time they match because they want to encourage people to participate in the plan. We have got a caller on the line, so we will say good morning to Bill, who's called in from Greenwood. Bill, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, how y'all doing? Uh, yeah, I played this scratch off. No, I ever played, and I first started to do it back around about you know uh, uh, for December, a couple of weeks, and I just bought maybe like about twenty dollars worth, and you know I would like maybe win out of that maybe a dollar or maybe five dollars, no more than five dollars, and uh, I kept doing that until. Uh, I was buying the tickets and I wasn't winning no more, so I said I, I ain't gonna do this no more. So I just, I just don't even fool with it no more. And I've looked on my phone and there's some people who that they have filmed and they get like a thousand dollars in scratch off tickets, but they don't win nothing. <laughs> so I said, that's nah, not for me. Maybe I'll try again later, but you know, I don't think it's very good. You know, you know, unless you're rich. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, no. Bill, thanks for the call. And, you know, I, I think that's, as as you mentioned, Ryder, that's kind of the proper attitude to have. It's, it's fun. It's, it's entertainment. But uh, certainly, as you said, certainly not uh, an investment strategy. Absolutely. And one thing that he uh, pointed out, he said, you know, he'd spend $20 and maybe win a couple dollars, maybe up to $5. On the lottery website, the Mississippi lottery website, they do give the odds of winning uh, for each type of game there is. And a lot of them are around uh, one in four or one in five. So you would kind of expect to spend $20 and win, you know, maybe $5. So, you know, if you're expecting something out of it, expect to lose $15 out of every 20. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about the baby steps of investing today. If you need some help after you've already gotten started in investing, we've got a suggestion for you that we'll tell you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all of the Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We've uh, mentioned a little bit about uh, saving for retirement, uh, and we had an entire show talking about investing for retirement. It's the August 13th, 2019 podcast, so you could refer to that for some more information. So we ended the last segment encouraging listeners to contribute to matching 401k retirement accounts. Nancy, before we move on, um, how do you decide how much to put towards retirement, how much to contribute to that 401k? Well, I encourage people to put as much in as they possibly can to start with at least 10%. Um, that's a, one thing I've always told my students as soon as they got that first job, you know, they're not making anything before, go ahead and sign up for at least 10% and work your way up from there. There is a legal dollar limit every year, and most people are confused. They think that uh, when they put in whatever their employer matches, that that's the maximum. I hear that all the time. That is not the case. You certainly want to at least uh, take advantage of whatever that match is, but you want to go above and beyond that. And uh, starting with 10% is a good rule of thumb, but know that if you have a 401K, which a lot of people have, that if you are under 50, the dollar amount right now that you can put in is 19500 If you are 50 or older, you can add an additional 6500 to that for a total of $26,000 a year. Most people don't even come close to that, but that's what you need to aim for. And you can do it by starting with 10%, gradually add as you get raises through the year. If you get a 2% raise, put an extra percent into your 401k and another percent in your pocket, and you won't notice the difference, and just keep working your way up, and compound interest and wise investing will do the work for you. So as I mentioned, our uh, you can find past broadcasts at moneytalks.mpbonline.org, and on that site for this show, our producer Liz Gill is going to post a retirement calculator from the website NerdWallet. So Nancy, what is a retirement calculator? What information can you get from it? Well, I call it just a plain old um, calculator that I use. Uh, that uh, and in, in this case, there may be several other things that you can plug in there, but you need to look at um, 
that time value of money. When I, how much am I starting with? How much am I contributing? How often am I contributing? For most people, it's once a month through their paycheck that it's going into that account, and then look at different rates of return and how that will accumulate. It is so much fun to do that when you can look at something and say, well, how long will it take for me to get to that magical $1 million? And of course, time is on your side. As you mentioned earlier, Kevin, the younger you are when you get started, the faster you're going to get there. So, Rhonda, we talked about the 401k account. What are some other methods for investing for retirement uh, that you access through your employer? Yeah, so there are, you know, like I said, a handful of different types of employer retirement plans, 401k being kind of the largest and best one, best known. Uh, some employers do offer the other, the, the, the most different uh, type of uh, plan, which is a pension. Um, those are, you know, going away uh, far, far, far fewer, and hardly any new employers are covered by pensions these days. I know even a lot of uh, companies in Mississippi that have still have pensions for many of their workers, their younger workers, their youngest workers do not have access to that. And a pension is essentially a plan which you don't have to do anything. Uh, it will replace part of your salary when you when you retire. Uh, they usually have a formula based on how many years you've worked um, and what your what your highest salaries worth, similar to Social Security. Uh, so those are really the two types of plans through an employer. A pension is a defined benefit where the benefit is the predefined amount and then 401ks, 403Bs, uh, all types of IRAs, 457s, whatever numbers and letters they give to it, those are defined contribution where it's the responsibility of the employee to set aside money. Uh, you mentioned an IRA, and that's certainly a method that you can do on your own. So, again, we talk about it frequently, but I think it's always good to point out the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA. Yes. So IRA, uh, and that stands for uh, Individual Retirement Account. And as the name implies, they are, generally speaking, um, set up for, owned by, and managed by the individual. So it's, it's not done through your employer. It's not a group plan, anything like that. And so the traditional IRA is a tax-deferred account. So that means you put money in, and that defers it as income. So you don't count that as income for that year. It gives you a, a deduction on your on your income. So you make a deductible contribution. Uh, so that is a traditional IRA. You put money in, and it lowers your taxes for this year. Uh, and then when you it, you let it grow tax-free, and then when you withdraw it, you pay income tax on it. It's fair, you know, you didn't pay income tax on the front end, you pay income tax when you take it out. The other type is a Roth IRA, and this is a fantastic uh, account. I often call it the best deal going in tax avoidance, especially for uh, folks in a lower tax bracket, folks just getting started in their careers. Um, you do pay taxes on the money you put in. It's, there's no special tax treatment when you put money in. However, it grows tax-free and you withdraw it tax-free. So that means that particularly if you have a long time to invest, you can let that grow. Um, you know, you can let a small amount grow a lot uh, and then withdraw it and not pay taxes on any of that. So it's really kind of the opposite of the uh, deferred IRA, the traditional IRA. 
so when we talk about this, it always seems like to me it's it's sort of a no-brainer to go with the Roth IRA. But are there some circumstances and situations where the traditional IRA might be the better option? Yes, um, but there's there's some tricks there. There are some rules as to how much you can put in. In an individual retirement account, you can uh, typically only put in six thousand uh, dollars if. But then there's a catch-up again uh, of a thousand dollars if you are uh, 55 and up, and so the um, with the with the traditional IRA, you may want to do that if you are in a higher tax bracket. Um, so there are some income limits. So this gets this gets really deep into the tax laws really quickly. But there are many people, you know, who do look at that. The benefits of the Roth IRA very obvious. You let it grow and you withdraw it tax free. You don't ever pay taxes on it again. That sounds great. But if you are in a high tax bracket now, there are some real big savings you can generate from putting money into a deferred plan. Um, and most often people do that through their 401k because there's no income limits, there's a higher amount you can put in, but there are real big savings you can put from deferring your current taxes. And you know, if you've done a good job uh, giving yourself some tax diversification, so you have some money in a deferred account, you have some money in a Roth account, you have some money in just a plain taxable account, if you have good tax diversification, that's ideal. That, that's better than just having a lot in, in one of these options. Um, so yeah, there are reasons one might choose the traditional rather than the Roth. And, you know, Nancy, I think this is not something that uh, someone necessarily has to do on their own. You and other financial advisors, part of the services that you offer is helping someone look at their situation and maybe try to decide what uh, investment vehicles are best for their, their particular situation. Exactly. And you also need to consult with your CPA or whoever helps you with your taxes. Um, because they'll be able to show you if you use the different a Roth versus a traditional, uh, what the difference in tax will be on each of those situations. We're talking about investing baby steps today. Do you know about brokers and how you can find out more? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. 
Kevin Farrell, along with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about brokers, and I'd like to refer you again to an earlier episode on the Money Talks archive. Uh, we had a whole show about the topic of brokers. It was from June 25th, 2019. So a couple of shows that you can refer back to uh, to get more information about investing. Uh, before we dive into that, though, we do have an email. Nancy will give you first crack at this one. Uh, it says, my question is regarding the sale of stocks when I hold the certificates. I know now this isn't the most common way to own stocks in this electronic age. I've held the stock for several years, and the time has come to sell. I don't understand if I need to return the certificates to a transfer agent or I go through a brokerage. If it's the latter, how does one do that in this day and age when everything is online? If it's the former, how does one sell the stocks once the transfer agent has the stocks on file. I can just imagine without your explaining the process, I'll sign the back of the certificates without some important backup, and I become one of the preyed-upon seniors. So what do you have on that one? Well, this person is correct. Most people don't hold those actual certificates any longer. That used to be pretty common when I first started out, where uh, someone would show up with a stack of actual pieces of paper, um, and if you sign them in the wrong place, as this person mentioned, they can become legal tender. If you want to sell them, you need to um, go through a brokerage, or in some cases, you can use the transfer agent. But I would suggest with this person who's held these certificates for a long time, you need to open a, a brokerage account, and you can do that online, or you can go to an office and open an account, but you're going to have to physically return those certificates to the broker, um, and they usually have a form called a stock power, and that form allows you to sign it, but you're signing it over to the brokerage house so it doesn't become legal tender, and you're not exposed if you put them through the mail or you overnight them, but you are going to have to get them back into an account with a broker or with the transfer agent so that you can then sell them because you can't just sell them yourself. All right. Um, we have another caller on the line, so we travel to South Haven and say good morning to John. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I would like to uh, have them mention about needing earned income to have a Roth or regular IRA rather than just income from dividends and interest. And also, can you roll over from a regular IRA to a Roth IRA if you no longer have earned income? Those are my two questions. All right, John, thanks. Ryder, why don't I let you handle that one? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I said we can quickly devolve into the um, arcana of IRS tax law, here we go. Yes, you do have to have earned income, which is from a job to have to contribute to a Roth IRA. And I mentioned that the limit that you could contribute was $6,000. So the amount you can, the limit is actually uh, $6,000 or your earned income, whichever is lower. So if you only earned $5,000 in one year, your maximum contribution is $5,000. Um, and you can see the IRS for how to define that earned income, but generally speaking, it is going to be, uh, you know, how most of us will think of it is, you know, work, uh, payment for work on the job. Um, 
and then there there are also income limits on the on the upside as well and i, and I believe that's around seventy thousand or eighty thousand for a traditional and a hundred and thirty or a hundred and forty thousand for a roth ira uh and yes you can roll a regular ira to a roth ira this is called a roth conversion you can do that without earned income and there's no there's no kind of there's no limits to that anymore there used to be limits they used to be had to be within your earned income things like that um, they got rid of those limits a number of years ago i'm not quite sure when but that can be a very valuable planning tool so kevin as you you know we're kind of speculating before you know, yes a roth ira is a fantastic plan but you know if you have a lot of money in an ira and you're facing you know withdrawing all that is going to be taxable but maybe you have a few years before retirement where you're just going to have a really low income you can go ahead and realize a little bit of income by converting doing some small partial conversions of that account moving some of that money from the regular ira to the roth ira you pay a little bit of taxes, but hopefully in the long run, uh, you know, we've developed strategies for folks that can save them huge amounts of money uh, on taxes in the long run, um, but more importantly, can, it can keep them from realizing a whole lot of income in the future with required distributions. And with a Roth IRA, you're not required to take money out ever if it's your Roth IRA. And so that can be a very good vehicle for estate planning because you, you get to pass that money. If, if you don't think you're going to use that money, you get to pass that money on to your children or your grandchildren, uh, and they receive that tax-free. Um, so that's, that's some pretty, pretty good tool for, for estate planning as well as future income and tax planning. But that was a great point. I really appreciate you bringing that up, John. Okay, thank you. Good information. I appreciate your help. Thank you. Thanks, John. Good to hear from you this morning. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. So, Nancy, what is a broker? Well, a broker is just, uh, and we say a brokerage firm, is a company that is licensed to buy and sell securities. Um, often when we say use the term broker, we're talking about somebody who works for a brokerage firm. But there's only a select number of those who can do that buying and selling. And so if you have those, just as we mentioned with this person before who had a stock certificate, she's going to have to find somebody who is licensed to be able to do that for her. Uh, Ryder, what are some different types of brokers? Yeah, so we often differentiate between a full-service brokerage and a discount brokerage. A full-service is maybe what you picture, you know, a high-net-worth person going and meeting with their broker and discussing buying and selling stocks, and they're managing a portfolio for them. Um, you know, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, you know, those are two large full-service brokerages. They hire folks who they kind of do the range of of financial, you know, the, the kind of transaction, uh, financial business with folks. Um, generally speaking, uh, you know, I would say maybe almost stereotypically, uh, these folks deal with higher net worth clients. They may have higher minimum account sizes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the brokerage business. It's kind of a, it's a, traditionally has been a transactional business so they are making money from you know managing these portfolios buying and selling you know maybe you know uh, one benefit uh, is, you know say Morgan Stanley is is 
help advising a company on their on issuing new shares. So your Morgan Stanley or your Merrill Lynch or your Goldman Sachs broker may have those shares and they may have better access. You, you can kind of get in early on those sort of things through a transactional broker. A discount broker, that's something like you know these uh, very popular websites, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, uh, Fidelity. It's kind of a do-it-yourself thing. Um, you don't, you know, they, they have the full offering of things you can do. There's, there's almost nothing you can't do at Charles Schwab. You can open a bank account, you can get checks ordered, you can buy, sell stocks, you can put yourself in line to get IPO share. You can do pretty much everything at Charles Schwab, but it's all a bit do-it-yourself. Um, so they have a lot of tools, um, but they do, and they do have folks who can help you, but it's more of a, you're calling into a call center and whoever is there, they're not necessarily giving you advice. It's not necessarily personalized like a broker who may know you is, um, but they, they can kind of help you do the thing that you asked to do. So that's the kind of the big split that we see. All right, we've got a couple callers on the line. Starting again, we'll talk to David in Oxford. Good morning, David. You're on the air. Yes, hi. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to ask some questions. Uh, I have, through an employer, uh, two types of stock options they have in an account for me. There are non-qualifying stock options, and the others are ISO, or incentive stock options. And so I've got a question about the difference between those two, and then the follow-up question is, can you talk about the tax implications of a cashless transaction of those options and uh, opposed to a exer uh, exercising the option and holding that stock for a minimum of, I believe, it's 12 months and then selling? Thank you very much. Nancy, can you take that one? I'm going to start with the cashless part first because that's the way most people exercise their employer stock options. And what he's talking about, when you do that, that creates a short-term gain because you're only going to exercise it when you are going to be able to generate a gain on the, um, the option price. Um, but if you're able to purchase it outright, and the problem is most people can't come up with that amount of cash outside of some other source, um, you can then leave that those shares in place for 12 months, and now you get the advantage of the lower taxes on a long-term capital gain, which is more than 12 months. Anything below that, is, you're going to be taxed at your income tax rate, and that is a huge difference. Now, as far as the different stock option plans, I am not as familiar with all of those. You're talking about non-qualified. That means it's not going through a retirement account of any sort. Um, I'm not sure about the other. Ryder, are you aware of these? Yeah, so non-qualified, generally speaking, the, the term qualified uh, refers to a tax-qualified plan, typically a 401k, although, like I mentioned before, there is a whole world of other arrangements which are qualified in some way. Uh, non-qualified generally means um, you may have some basis in this uh, option. Of course, that basis may just be zero. Um, and then every all of the gains on top of that is is going to end up being taxable to you. And the reason it's called non-qualified instead of just being like, here's a stock option, 
is that these do have some sort of protection um, for the employer to be able to issue them and you know be able to kind of count it as an expense for the employer so that you know they can save money on their taxes um, but also if it has some basis in it it allows that to be issued and you don't have to worry about the taxes until you decide to act on it, um, which is, again, part of the optionality. Uh, so that's what a non-qualified is. There's going to be taxes when you, when, you, when you realize them, when you exercise them, and they are not in a retirement plan. Um, incentive stock options. Uh, so, and one thing about stock options is a lot of them are very tailored to the company. You know, they can kind of write the terms that they want to. They can say when you get the stocks, when you when you are granted the options, how much they cost you, all of that. They get to write those rules. Incentive stock options. That's often used to let employees buy stock at a discount. Um, so I'm not sure if you just you just have those or if you're purchasing those, um, but that's the general idea there. Um, and and um, generally, go ahead, Nancy. I would, I would just jump in and say I think um, with some of this, it's going to be how it's declared as far as income. And in some cases, if you're awarded options, it may be listed that that when you are when you receive the award then that is declared as income that you pay tax on versus when you exercise the option. So there may be some differences there. And that means you really need to look at um, how your company awards those and also consult your CPA. Yes. yes. Uh, and, uh, and I was okay, sorry, go ahead, I was going to say, I have, I have been awarded them in the past, and I, I have, uh, as Nancy mentioned, yes, it's it's more, uh, you know, it's easier to use to exercise the tra cashless transaction. But I've been taxed once I exercise them. I've been taxed in that uh, that income tax year. And our my plan here is I've got a number, uh, some number that will be vesting, uh, over the next six years, and five of those years will be after I retire. I'm 66 now, so the plan is to exercise those at a lower income tax year once I retire. Uh, to I'm assuming that's going to lower the tax hit, of course. Well, and David, I think you probably need to consult with a CPA and an advisor because you need to look at the two things. How do you exercise these and cost yourself the least amount in taxes? But also, the other issue that's going to happen, once you retire, you are no longer an insider. Um, unless you really keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with that company, because you want to exercise it at the the top price you possibly can. And uh, so that means making some decisions about what's happening with the company itself and what their prospects are going forward and uh, trying to time it well. Absolutely. I appreciate your advice. I do have my finger on the pulse. All right. Good uh, thing. David, yeah. appreciate your call this morning. We're talking about baby steps of investing today, and on the line is Mia. Mia, hold on. We'll get to your call after this break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, every Tuesday at 10 a.m., immediately following Money Talks, you can listen live to In Legal Terms right here on MPB Think Radio. Another podcast we'd like to refer you back to talking about assessing your investment risk level is the August 1st, 2017 podcast. We have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Mia, who is in Greenwood. Hello, Mia. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question is what the expert's opinion is on the Acorns app. Oh, this is fantastic. Um, so Acorns, uh, they do – in. I believe they've added some features since I last interacted with them. Pardon me. It has been a while. But they are kind of in the field of robo-advisors, where uh, this is kind of a a fancy or futuristic uh, name for automated investing. And essentially, that means it is a place where you open up an account. It is a very, very... It is a brokerage that does not offer a lot of services. They offer pretty much just investing services. So you open an account, you put money in, and they invest it. And you answer a short questionnaire, and that gives them all the information they need for how to invest it. Um, And a couple of the bigger ones in in that room are uh, Wealthfront and Betterment. Uh, They do a similar thing. Acorns, their pitch, I know how it started was they would take very small amounts. They had a minimum of like $5, and they would look at your spending every day, and they would round up all of your spending and take, you know, 50 cents, 25 cents. Um, take that all as your uh, as your deposit. So it was making incredibly small deposits. So it was, it was like the acorns that grow into a big oak tree. Um, wonderful imagery. So that's what it is. That's what it does. It's in that robo advisor field. Two things about it. One, acorns itself. Actually, when I dug deep into it, it had very high fees at the time. Um, so your account fee, I believe they had a minimum account fee, you know, of like $3 and, and the percentage wise was also kind of high. And if you were starting an account and it was only going to have $20 in it, paying $3 a month, it's a lot of money to pay. Um, Oh, I, you know, I didn't think it was, and it's not necessarily that appropriate for someone to start investing with only $5, even though so many places advertise that you can do it now. You need to make sure you have your emergency savings set up. You need to make sure you're not facing a month-to-month cash flow ever, uh, cash flow issue ever. So you need to, you, you will probably have a decent amount saved up before it's even appropriate to start investing outside of a workplace retirement plan. So that was one issue there. The other issue is with robo-advisors in general. Um, 
they're generally very good, especially if you are just never ever going to pay attention to it and absolutely trust them. Um, but a lot of times people do want a human being when they can, who they can talk to, who can uh, tailor things personally to them um, and who, who can make changes that the client requests. Uh, you generally cannot do that with robo-advisors um, because that's the way that they're able to do this so cheaply. Uh, they do a good job, a pretty good job of investing uh, but again, they cut a lot of things out that, that people do want uh, in order to make it so affordable. So there's, a, there's, my, there's my take on Acorns there. If it is what gets you to invest and, and you are happy with it and you stick with it, then by all means, stick with it. Um, but just do be aware of the fees and do be aware of the kind of lack of services that you might be getting from them. All right, uh, Mia, we appreciate that call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Here's a email for you, Ryder. It says, uh, I've accrued $20,000 in my checking account. I'm retired, living off my Social Security income the past five years. I've been told to not keep a large amount in checking. What should I do with this money? Uh, well, I mean, you could move it to savings. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not really opposed to keeping a large amount in checking. You know, there are a few issues with that, of course. You know, if you write checks or use a debit card a lot, um, a check or a debit card is a direct link to your bank account. So whoever has that information, be it legitimate or illegitimate, um, has a direct link to your bank account. And yes, if you have a large amount in your bank account, then yes, it's possible for them to take it. Uh, but that is, of course, illegal. Um, you know, so one way to fight that is just move it to a savings account. It's out of your checking account. Um, you know, keep enough money in your checking account so that you never have to worry about overspending in a month. You know, you don't want to you don't want to overdraw your account, especially if you do have the money. Um, but you can just move it to a savings account to, if, if, if that's the security is the issue there. Otherwise, I don't, I don't particularly care how much people have in their, in their checking accounts. All right. Uh, Nancy, we've got about uh, two minutes left. When we, we know that investing is not a risk-free uh, uh, thing to do, so what are some ways to think about uh, your risk tolerance and to determine how much you're, you're willing to risk? Well, you have to start with, what do I want to do with this money? Um, for a lot of people we work with, it's all about, I need to save for retirement. Well, that's a very long time away for most people. And when it, you have that long-term horizon, you can invest in riskier things. You can put more in stocks because you have a longer period of time to then get that average when we know stocks will have some years where you have negative returns. That doesn't bother you if you have this long horizon. If you're saving money for a car that you need to purchase within the year, you need to keep it in something very safe that checking account or that savings account. If you're saving for a house you're going to buy in maybe three years, maybe you've got some CDs mixed in there, but you're also not going to subject that to too much risk because you need to be able to take it out when you need it. So you start with, what am I going to do with this money? How soon will I need it? And that will give me some direction as to what kind of securities I will invest in. 
All right, very good. Just a couple minutes, a couple seconds left. Just a reminder, we've had a lot of great emails here this morning. Uh, you can email the show during the show, but also if you have something that comes up during the week that you need advice on, go ahead and send it to money at mpbonline.org, and we'll see if we can't get an answer to you either on the air or sometimes we'll get Nancy or Ryder uh, to email you directly. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio and funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering MyTrustmark online and mobile banking services to help monitor spending, pay bills, deposit checks, transfer money, and more. Anytime, anywhere. More information at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 